following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 3. I appreciate my good friend James Nugent from the State Convention who was with us last week who actually just jumped right into the sermon series and preached the passage in Malachi. did a real good job, so I was thankful for him being with us. And I told him uh, beforehand, I said, you know, you really did come on a really uh, a, uh, an appropriate Sunday because, you know, I dealt with the passage before that two weeks ago, which happened, you know, in the course of Malachi. I happened to be talking about divorce and faithfulness. And I said, I dealt with that. I didn't give you that passage. He said, yeah. And I followed it up with God's coming to judge everybody, you know. So it was real two happy weeks. And guess what? Guess what we're talking about today? Tithing. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Malachi's got lots of good news for us, so... Uh, as you found your place there, chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 6, actually. I know the text is verse 7 to verse 12. I just want to kind of reiterate verse 6 because it's kind of a transition verse from last week to this week. It kind of connects those two thoughts. But before I read that, I want you to kind of think through some things, maybe get your mindset focused in a direction. So I'm going to ask two questions. Have you ever tried to get out of doing something that you just really didn't want to do. So just think through that, that mindset. There's something that you really just don't want to do. You try to come up with every possible scenario where you don't have to do whatever this thing is. Okay, so think about that. Now, ask this question. Have you ever tried to re rearrange your entire schedule to make a way to do something that you really wanted to do? So those are kind of equal and opposite thoughts. Trying to do, come up with any reason you can to not do something you don't want to do or try to rearrange your schedule completely just to be able to do something you really want to do. Okay? So if you think about those two scenarios, here's the principle that kind of guides you through both of them. In life, in general, in every situation... You're either going to make a way or you're going to make an excuse. You're either going to make a way or make an excuse. And the, the bad thing about excuses, a senior adult man who is no longer on this earth 20 years ago told me this. When you're looking for an excuse, anyone will do. Isn't that something to think about? You'll either make a way or you'll make an excuse. So let, let's turn our attention to the, to the text of Scripture here. And like I said, I'm going to reread verse 6 from last week and then go into our text from verse 7 to verse 12 here in Malachi chapter 3. Here's what God inspired to be written. Because I, the Lord, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Since the days of your fathers, you've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. 
Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth of the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me in this in this way, says the Lord of armies, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Father, I pray you take this word we've read today and help us to understand it. And then as you show us the truth you have here before us, Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to do what you say for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Unnecessary theft. Unnecessary theft. That's really the summary statement about our text today. We think about the two questions that I asked kind of as an introduction, trying to get out of something we don't do or trying to make a way to do something we want to do. And that principle will either make a way or will make an excuse. So there's several things in this text today, three things really, as we move through this text that I believe are, are clear in the text, but God would remind us, and it all kind of hinges on that verse that wasn't even on the screen for you. And I started on verse 7, but I read verse 6. Think about that statement in verse 6. Just look, look at your Bible. If you got it open, if you got your phone app, or whatever it is you're looking at, look at verse 6. God says, because I hadn't changed, you hadn't been destroyed. So you know what that tells us? As a, uh, as a preemptive foundation for our text today, God is faithful. He's faithful even when we're not. And the Bible even said, I read that a couple weeks ago in First Timothy, when we are faithless, He remains faithful because He can't deny Himself. His character is unchanging. God is who He is, period. He's unlike any of us. He never changes. He's consistent. And so He can be trusted because of that. And he says in verse 6, because I've not changed, you had not been destroyed. In other words, I could have dealt... Remember what I read in Psalm 103, verse 10? He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Right? And pray, praise God for that. You know, thank the Lord He hadn't dealt with me in a way I deserved. That's what grace is. Mercy. He's given me things I don't deserve. He's withheld punishment I do deserve. That's grace and mercy, and, and I'm thankful that He's like that. But sometimes we forget. We forget the character of God when we're going through life. Individual circumstances cloud our judgment and cloud our perspective. So we're walking through life, and when things get bad, all of a sudden, we forget who God is. And when things get really good, we forget who God is. Leonard Ravenhill made this statement 
Actually, it was on my social media this morning when I was praying for my, my pastor friends. It says, if we go through life without prayer, without much prayer, in effect, we're saying to God, I got it. I don't need you. I'm fine. So when things get really good, we could be tempted to say, no, God, I'm good. But if things mess up, you know, I'll, I'll get back in touch with you. But right now, I'm fine. Which is, that's an illusion. Like we don't, like there's ever a moment when we don't need God. Right? So we get in the text today based on that principle, I, the Lord, have not changed. And then we get to this paragraph here today about theft. And it's twin questions that kind of go together. Because if you look at the first thing, here's the first, if you like to take notes, I've got three, three statements for you today. The first one is this. Learn the lesson of history. Learn the lesson of history. So, God asks a question of His people. Look at verse 7. He says, Since the days of your fathers, your ancestors, you've turned away from my statutes. In other words, we got the Bible here, but we just don't pay it a whole lot of attention. It's not that we don't have it. It's not that we don't have access to know what we should be doing. It's just we just disregard it. Right? Kind of like when I'm putting together something at the house. Like something, you know, we buy a bookshelf or buy whatever it is. What's the first thing, men, what's the first thing you do when you open a box? You take the directions, throw them in the trash. Right? First thing. Right? I don't need these stupid things. So it's not like, and then we get two-thirds, three-fourths of the way through. It's not exactly looking like the picture on the box. And i got this pile of extra parts over here. Like, hmm, that's interesting. Probably shouldn't, shouldn't have thrown those instructions away. Can you imagine doing that with your life? Here's the instructions. Oh, I don't need those. I can figure it out. Really? How's that working for you? Not too good. It's never good when we do it that way. But God says, you've turned from my statutes. You haven't kept them. If you'll just return to me, I'll return to you. And then the first question, verse 7. Well, how can we return? And then God just skips to the next thing. Isn't that interesting? Verses 7 and 8 go together. God says, and, and by the way, He is demonstrating unimaginable degrees of grace and mercy by saying this. You've turned away from my statutes. Just return to me and I will return to you. He's offering to return to them if they'll just come back. And the people have disobeyed for so long, they can't even understand the offer that's being made. They don't, they don't understand. They, so they say, how can we return? One commentator said, the call to repent meets no response because there's no awareness of any shortcomings. Malachi's method of quickening their conscience into conviction of sin is to lay stress on one more indisputable, uh, indisputable manifestation of unworthy attitude. So if you think about it in that regard, God says, you've turned away from My Word, just return to Me, I'll return to you. And the response is, what are you talking about? I'm good, I haven't done anything wrong. It's, it's, a, it's denial. It's denial to think that everything's good with God. And, and by the way, this is what I said a moment ago, when things are good, 
the tendency might be to disregard God and His Word. So you think the illusion is, well, things are going, going fine in my life, so I must be good. Is that how that works? Things are going okay, or maybe even really well. So I must be right with God. Let me explain to you a little underlying principle that works in spiritual things. Do you know many times, especially in Scripture, you know many times those whose earthly lives are without any kind of problem or any kind of challenge, do you know who those people were? Categorically? The ones who were farthest away from God. You know how I know that? Because I read the Bible and I see example after example after example of those who have completely surrendered and sold out to God to follow Him in every respect. And you know what happens when that happens? Spiritual war. It's like, let me put this target on my back because I want to follow Jesus. And the, and the devil, who's our enemy, doesn't really care for that at all because as long as we're cruising along, ignoring God and His Word and just living for ourselves and living by the world standard and not giving any, uh, any regard to what Jesus has said, then here's what the enemy does. Oh, all right. Well, if they're not going to follow Jesus, I'm going to let them just go right on. No speed bumps. Just go right ahead. You're not, you're not doing any damage to my kingdom, says our enemy. So I'll just let you go on your way. Now, if you turn around and you repent and you surrender to Jesus and try to follow Jesus and do things what God, the way God says to do them, then we've got a problem. Then I'm going to have to start you know, coming against you and giving you some difficulties. And by the way, let me just give you a word of personal testimony. You know the times in my own life when I have most felt like God's about to really do something incredible? It's when I have the highest level of difficulty. When I encounter the most challenge while I'm doing my very best to stay in the Bible, to do what God wants me to do, to stay in prayer, to do the things, to live my life the way God has intended me to live it, the more I do that, the more difficult it gets. And then it's at those times when I think, huh, why am I encountering all this resistance? Because God's not the only one who knows what He's planning to do. The enemy knows that too. And he doesn't want it to happen. So he's trying to throw everything he can in my way to get me distracted, to get me off of the, the path I'm on, to get me to... Here's one. Anybody got a smartphone? Just hold it. If you got one, hold it up. Okay. Yeah. I left mine in, the, in my office. Maybe, maybe the biggest lie the devil ever told was, you got plenty of time. You know what a smartphone can be? It can be a tremendous... I've done things remotely uh, that I could not do remotely as far as work and communication things uh, just you know, 20 years ago. So a smartphone is a tremendous blessing in many ways. You know what else it is? A colossal waste of time. If you let it be. If you let it be. It's when you can take something good 
and put it in its wrong priority and it becomes something bad. Right? So we have to learn this lesson of history because God responds to this foolish question about how can we possibly return to you when we haven't left? They think they haven't left. He goes straight to the heart of their disobedience. You see how this works? They're confused because when He says to return, they're saying, how can we return? It's like, if I'm, it's like, okay, we're at church. You should really come back to church when I'm here. Right? That doesn't make sense. If you don't know, you've left. So when God brings this indictment of stealing, will a man rob God? The people still don't get it because they're blinded by their sinfulness. They're stealing from God by withholding tithes and offerings. Now this passage today, especially in the context of going through the prophet Malachi, is not intended to be about money. This is not, that's not the purpose of this message today. It's not about money. You know what it's about? It's about your heart. It just so happens that if God really wants to get a handle on where your heart is, many times He looks at your bank account. Number two, learn the consequences of sin. We should learn the lesson of history. We should also learn the consequences of sin. Verse 9. God takes disobedience very seriously. He always has. You look at verse 9. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. So the consequences of sin, are they're connected. God tells His people they're cursed because of their disobedience and their rebellion, yet they're still sitting there, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I don't see it. They're they're blinded to their situation. No one is excluded from this curse because no one is excluded from the sin and the disobedience. Talks about he says the whole nation in verse nine. You're under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Proverbs chapter eleven and verse twenty four there is one who gives yet grows richer, but he who withholds what is right only finds need. This was the outworking of the curse on the stingy giver. God can't bless the individual or the church or the nation that can spare Him nothing. We say this all the time in church. People say this all the time in church. Right? Why is is, uh, the preacher always talking about money? Well, I, I go out of my way not to do that. Because... Here's why. I, I've done now I will say this. In January, if you remember, if you were here, January 2020, it's ironic. Before COVID, the first six weeks of, of 2020, you know what we did? You remember? It was a six week series on stewardship. But it, we didn't talk about money till the fourth week. Because it's more than that. It's about our lives. It's about the Gospel. It's about the grace of God. It's about being a good witness. And then, yes, that does include whatever uh, wealth that God blesses us with, how we manage that for His glory. right? But it's not all about that. And so I go out of my way not to constantly talk about money. But here's the thing. You might ask this question. Well, does God need my money? What's the answer to that? Absolutely not. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
And He owns the hills they're on. He owns everything. He created everything, right? It's all His. He gives us things to manage, right? So how does He know for sure? Granted, He knows everything, but let me, let me phrase that a different way. How does God demonstrate to us where our heart really is? I almost said, how does God know where our heart really is? He, he knows where our heart is. How does He show us? How does He reveal it to us? Through our management skill. God says many times, hey, I'm going to give you this. Let me see what you do with it. How do you handle it? I've had this happen in, in two different churches. I suspect the same would be true here. And, and I just I don't know. It's not that it's not true. It's just I'm, I'm not aware. It's probably true. But in two previous churches where I've served in the last 20 years, the by far the most generous people in those churches were some of the wealthiest people I've ever met. But they were just extravagantly generous. And, and here's what I thought to myself. Hmm. wonder if that's why God gave them all that, because He can trust them with it. He can trust them to, to be generous and to not hoard and to, to not you know, heap up treasures for themselves, but they're looking for ways to serve and help and, and supply needs. And so God's like, alright, cool. If you're going to be faithful like that, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more and more because I know you're going to take good care of it. You're going to manage it well. And by the way, that's not just an individual principle. That's a church principle. I believe that God has blessed this fellowship. I believe that. I, I, I think this church is... Uh, I mean, I don't know what other churches are doing and what, how their, you know, what their finances look like. I don't know that stuff. But my perception is, just from being here, is the, the more faithful we are in our management and our stewardship and our using our, our resources for God's glory and for His kingdom growth and for missions and for evangelism and for trying to see people come to Jesus, go to heaven, the more we do that, prioritize those things, God blesses those things. That's what He does. Because if we're faithful with, with a little, don't you remember the parable? The talents. Been faithful with a little, God will give you more. Be faithful. That's how God shows it to us. It's not about God needing anything He's given us. Please be clear about that. God doesn't need a thing from us. Everything we have, He gave us to begin with. He doesn't need it. What He wants is right here. He wants us. Sometimes He has to go through our checkbook to get it. But that's what He wants. He wants us. There's consequences to sin we should learn. Learn the lesson of history. Learn the consequences of sin. Last point, number three. Learn the value of repentance. The value of repentance. The last three verses of this text 
really kind of clarify these things for us. Because God, He gives a little challenge to His people, right? He says, bring everything. Bring the whole tithe. Be obedient. You don't think I'm serious? Bring the tithe. You look at your bank account and the numbers don't make sense. You say, well, I can't afford to give a tithe this week. You know what? I can't afford not to give a tithe this week. I can't afford to look God in the face after 50 years of life and say, I don't trust you. What kind of sense does that make? After time after time after time, when God proves His faithfulness, He proves how trustworthy He is, how kind and patient He is. And yet, I would dare look at Him and say, no, no, God, I don't know if you can handle this. I'm... And I'm looking at the numbers here. I got my spreadsheet all set out here, and I just, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't know. Can I trust you with it? Well, guess what? He trusted you with it. The value of repentance, obedience to God, has to come first in the list of priorities. Verse ten: Bring the full tithe, because spiritual and physical blessings follow obedience. That's the way it works. They don't come from disobedience. Blessings follows obedience. And God anticipates our doubt. He anticipates our lack of faith by telling us to put Him to the test. God hardly ever does that because, you know, what you remember, the temptation of Jesus, right? You remember, you should not put the Lord your God to the test, right? That's what Jesus said to to the devil when He was being tempted, right? But God says here, you don't believe Me? Verse 10 at the end there. Test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. Can you, can you imagine what that would look like? If God really did open the floodgates of heaven? That's how certain God is of who He is. That's how sure He is of His character. By telling His people, you don't think I'm serious? Bring the tithe and see what happens. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll pour down a blessing until there's no need. There will be agricultural success. He goes on to say, I'll rebuke the devourer. That means uh, in this context, he's talking about locusts that come and destroy the crops. So he's going to stop that from happening. He will ensure the success of the vines in their field. There will be a great harvest. You know, I, I ride through town, I ride especially like down Berlin Road and out down 389 and cross over. You know, you ride down, especially like you go out to to Edisto Grocery and, you know, go out towards Sawyerdale or you go down um, towards even towards Springfield. And all the, I mean, there's fields everywhere. Crops everywhere. And it's almost, and this is, we're talking about people's livelihood here, you know? And it's almost like God's looking down saying, I created all this. You don't trust me? I, I made it. I spoke it into existence. You don't trust me? I control the rain, the wind, the sun, the moon, the stars. I made all those things. I put them where they are. You don't trust me? Does that make sense to you? 
Does it make sense for us to look at God with a straight face and not trust? Not have faith in who He is? And to think for a moment that He doesn't see us? That He doesn't know our circumstances? That He doesn't know all our needs? Does that even make sense to you? I mean, if you really think about it, does that make sense? Obedience leads to blessing. Verse 12, All the nations will consider you fortunate. You'll be a delightful land. Why? Obedience. Trust. Faithfulness to God. Seeing God for who He really is. And then being obedient to His Word because you know God, I, I know that uh, you tell us we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. I, I, I remember reading that. I understand in Hebrews in chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, okay, I get it. This is really, really difficult. And it's almost like God says, yeah? Is there anything too difficult for me? Has God ever, listen, let's just reflect a moment. Has God ever done anything at all in your lifetime that you thought previously would be impossible? Has God ever done anything like that for you? Have you ever seen God show up like that? In a, in a way where you just thought, you thought, your situation was just insurmountable. You didn't know what you were going to do. You had no answers. You'd exhausted all your human intellect. You just thought, I don't know. I don't know. I'm at a loss. I don't know what we're going to do. And God just showed up. You don't think He's trustworthy? You don't think He's proved Himself over and over and over again? In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the Bible says, Give, and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, James Boyce says something really interesting. And I put the, the last part of this quote up on the screen. I'm going to read the first part and then continue on. He says, I wonder if God would not say to most of us today, you're robbing me. Why should we who have been blessed so abundantly be so ungenerous? I think the reason is we really do not trust God to take care of us. We think we have to store up the money for ourselves against the day when money may run out and God will be unable to provide. Now let's just think about that statement for a second. Can you imagine a day when God would be unable to provide? That day doesn't exist. It's the same thing we talk about when we, when we think about our own forgiveness, our own salvation, our relationship with the Lord. 
And we think, how, how does He keep holding on to us even though we keep failing? How does that work? Well, it's because our salvation depends on God, not on us. That's what grace is all about. You think God saved you from your sins because you're just so awesome? Forget that. God saved you because He's awesome. There's no time when He can't be trusted. There's no time when He is unfaithful. That time doesn't exist. The only way that would happen is if He stopped being God. Not happening. So what's the ultimate lesson to be learned here? Does, does God really need our money? Does He need our resources at all? No, He does not. So why does He ask us to be faithful and give? He knows how closely human beings are tied to their finances. He knows that about us. He knows the truth about His people. He can tell what is really, really important to us by looking at how we spend our resources, whatever they may be. Our time, our energy, our attention, and yes, our financial resources also. Take all that, and God sees the full picture. And not only that, He knows our hearts. And so God knows what our priorities really are. We can try to mask things and try to make them be what they're not, but God is not fooled. And He knows this truth, and, and I think this is why this is so closely tied together. He knows this truth about His creation, us. He knows if He, whatever it is, whatever, in this case it's financial resources, but put anything in that, in that blank. Whatever is most important to you, God knows if He has that part of you, then He's got your heart. Whatever you value over everything else, if that's dedicated to Him, He knows where your heart is. When there's nothing you withhold from God, then He can really use you for His glory. So, so what's, what's sitting in that chair? Is there anything in your life that's sitting in a chair that only belongs to Jesus? Is there anything that's out of place? Because that's what this text is, is trying to show us today. What's the priority? Is it Jesus? Because if it's Jesus, then everything else will follow that. But if something's out of place, it may not be a bad thing, it just may be out of place. Right? God just, He doesn't need a thing we have. But He really, really wants our hearts. That's what He wants. That's why Jesus died. 
to be reconciled for our hearts to be dedicated, devoted to Him, then He can really, really use us for His glory. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.